0: Of the book of Amos. This is our st- third study on uh, in the, the minor prophets. And so as we do I need to push that off? Are you good? Okay. This is our third study uh, in the minor prophets. And as we begin today, kind of again, I've kind of been following something that uh, Mark Dever, I haven't read all of his, his studies, but he, he, he kind of looks at the minor prophets and says, what are the big questions that? That are asked there, and he says in the book of Amos, is is it does God care? I mean, there there are injustices all over our world. I mean, if you study like like Mike said, you get on the television or you watch some news system or radio or you I mean you just listen to all kinds of of places, you'll find out that there man is sinful. And there's a lot of brokenness in the world. And there are a lot of governments who mistreat their people. There are rich people who are oppressing the poor. There there are just list upon list of all kinds of horrific injustices in our world. There are things like being prejudiced in our world. People still struggle with that. They will probably struggle with that. It just depends on the place that they live. There's always someone that's kind of beat down in their culture. There are prejudiced thoughts going around in our culture. Um, it's kind of the, the question that Amos addresses is does God kind of look past all that stuff and not really worry about it? Or does He really care about it? Is God really aware of what's going on in our world? Does God care what happens to people that are marginalized, who are weak, who cannot defend themselves, who sit there at the mercy of someone very powerful above them? Does God see those things? Does he just see it in the nations or in our nation? Sometimes you get around people and they'll be like, uh, people love to talk about everybody else, right? And so we'll talk about how bad that nation is or this nation is or our own nation, how bad they are, but not really talk about, for instance, the church. Does God care about how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ from different parts of the world? from different nations, from the other side of the tracks, from different race? Does God care? Does God know what's going on there? Does He care that the church neglects those who are persecuted within it? Those who are persecuted around the world, we don't really think about them. Does God care about those things? Some people would think, nah, God doesn't care about those as long as we come to church on Sunday, it does not matter what we do throughout the week, or who we think about, or who we pray for, or how we treat people, we're at church. So God's good with us. But the, the reality is, the Scripture doesn't present it way, it's this, this way. Throughout Israel's history, when God was setting up His law... He set parameters around like how they even harvested their fields. He would leave spots where he would say, "Leave the corner spots for those who are poor, who are needy, who are oppressed, Leave spots for the stranger, the alien that's going to pass through the land. Leave a place to help someone in need. Throughout the, the history of Israel, they would neglect that. They would turn away from that now. Sometimes even we would say, for instance, like, well, you know, uh, there are some governments like that. They oppress their people and everybody's kind of beat down. But we in America have like a capitalism model and so it's better than all the rest. As if people can't be oppressed... In a, in, a, in a model that is driven by whoever climbs up, you know, pulls up their bootstraps and goes their own way, it, you know, th- those people will succeed and the others fail. In that model, there's still going to be struggles, man. We live in a fallen world. So regardless of the, the political uh, des- design, the economic design of a country, there are still people that are going to be marginalized. There will be people that will be beat down and struggle. And the reality is, it really doesn't matter what system you're involved in, what country you're in in the world, there's going to be these kind of struggles. It's just reality. And there's also going to be people, again, that are going to take the advantage of whatever system they live in. And so all of us have to ask the question, though, is God aware and does He care about how we treat others? About whether we are generous people or not? About whether we treat the, the, those in the household of faith that are in need or persecuted Well, All those questions kind of come to mind when you think about this. And we should demonstrate the heart of God. And what is the heart of God? He loves truth and righteousness, and He loves His people. And He he really wants good things. You can tell throughout that He wants you to have a heart, a generous heart towards others. And really, if you were to think about the law of God, when we say, what is the law composed of? Love God and love people. At the heart of it is to say, if you love truth, you will love people. It's just a reality. You will want good for others. You'll see your life as one of sacrificial love for other people. And the church should be the most uh, 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 sacrificially loving people of all. And so I think it's important that we understand as we read this today. So we're looking at the prophets again. It's a time where the kingdom's divided. There's this man named Amos who is going to go and speak. He is not like a professional prophet. God just called him to leave his southern kingdom, to travel up to the northern kingdom, and to speak his word. And so that's just important that you understand that as we're kind of moving forward. It's around the 8th century. It's before this northern kingdom is going to have some people invade it and drag everybody out. And so this is kind of the time and he's going to speak to them. Now, Amos is one of those books that's more structured and it's cool because there's phrases. So if you're writing stuff down, chapter 1 and 2, there are eight judgments against the nation. Or nations, including Israel, It will be judged. Chapters 3 through 6, there are five prophetic words. It'll say, hear this word. Hear this word. Hear this word. And then there will be another phrase that will come out of there, and we'll look at that. And then chapters 7 through 9, verse 10, there are five prophetic visions, if you will. Like, there's going to be these visions that God's going to give him. And then the last part, just like the last few verses, there's going to be a promise of blessing and renewal. Because all this is going to be tied to judgment. Amos is one of those books that you're just like, man. It, it does, there's not a lot of, of, of hope there until the very end. It's like setting the stage all the way along, and you're just like, wow, everything's you know, horrible, things are judgments coming. But then at the end, it's like this little light that flickers to show you that that's not the whole story. So God is angry at his people because uh, they've, they've become very rich, and they're oppressing their own kinsmen, and they're despising the righteous and his word. So there's two things going on there. One is, as you look at this, is that these people that have become very wealthy, that the the nation has, they're doing it by trampling on the poor. And then at the same time in this passage, they're neglecting the righteous who are calling them to repent and walk in God's ways. So those two things are kind of going on. You'll see it throughout this study. Chapter 1, verse 1. You see it's in the 8th century, but I want you to turn to chapter 7 real quick. Chapter 7 and verse 10. And I'm just going to like kind of scan that, but I'm not going to read it. You're just going to kind of scan it as we move through. Amos, again, is that southern man. He comes in. He begins to speak to the northern kingdom. As he does, there's a priest there that tells the king, "We can't. this land cannot handle the words of Amos. And they say, Amos, hit the road, Jack, and get your food in the south. Go back home. And make your, your, your living there prophesying. Get out of this place. And so they kind of want to shut him up. Because they don't want to hear the words that he brings to them. And so he says, real famous, I'm not a prophet nor the son of the prophet, but God gave me this word, I'm going to speak to you. Now go back to chapter 1 and we'll start moving through. In chapter 1 verse 2, it begins with the Lord Roaring. That's like a roar of judgment. I was hearing a guy talking about being over in Africa and hearing this lion roar. And there's something about it that just rocks everyone around. I mean, it's just hard to explain. It's hard to see it like in a video. I mean, it is so amazing. The Lord is roaring and He is about to speak like judgment on people. Now, so we're going to kind of keep moving through that. It says, there's a repeated phrase here, and you're going to see this. Thus says the Lord. Now look at that in chapters 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. You'll also see for three transgressions and for four. That's another repeated phrase. If you had your pen and you wanted to kind of see the way the structure is, you just underline those phrases and you'll see it. So for three transgressions and for four, it has the idea, transgression is sin. It has the idea of the fullness of their sin. It's almost as if these three transgressions, it's just recurring sins, but now we've gone beyond that and to the fourth where there is no hope. These people have gone too far. They've rebelled too much. Now, notice what happens here in verses 3-5. through These people threshed with teeth, meaning they pillaged and robbed and left desolate a people. So that verse three through five is going to deal with that. This Damascus is Syria. Now here's the thing. If we were to draw today like a, a, a map of, of, of Israel and the northern kingdom, it's almost like he's going to walk around the nation and all the nations around them, and he's going to go, "Boom, they're sinners." he's going to go to the next one their sinners and the next one their are sinners and all along the way you're going to kind of see that so this first happens up in syria and and they see that these people and so they're listening amos is speaking to this northern kingdom and, and he's saying listen your enemy up in the north your enemy up in the north god is going to judge That's kind of how we do Look in Gaza. They took captive whole communities and sold them. So Gaza is a place around the people of God who have done this. They went in, they took some people, and they drug them out, and they just sold them all into slavery. They keep going. Entire delivered whole people to Edom and broke the covenant of brotherhood. They may have had some kind of covenantal relationship with someone, and then they come in and just destroy them. And they sell them to another group of people. Edom. He pursued his own brother with a sword and showed no compassion, and his anger raged continually. This idea of their like savagely their anger can never it's almost like you see a A dog who, like, I think of like blood drizzling down, and they attack something, and then they find the next thing, and they attack it, and it never satisfies. There's never enough for them. Their anger just grows and grows and grows. Amon here, we ripped open pregnant women in order to extend their borders. This is a picture of. Of really, you know, you have the idea not only that they are like killing the babies in their mother's womb. They go in and they'll destroy anyone in their way, so that so that there's not a new offspring coming up from this other nation, and that they'll have power over them. But not only that, it's murder also of the woman. She's pregnant. They just they cut her open. They kill the baby and the woman. When you read that, does that not blow you away? What's going on? And all around Israel, all these rebels. Oh man, you just think, in their hearts as they're watching this, you keep going, Moab demoralized the people by burning their king. It's a way of just really destroying just the whole heart of the nation. And as you look at those, these are sins of cruelty, oppression, slavery, and murder. And now here's the thing. What would you do? If you're sitting around and you're the nation of Israel and you hear all this... Nobody's throwing Amos out for those kind of things. You'd be like, yes! Finally, God is judging these horrible nations. Finally, God is going to punish the wickedness of these nations. Finally, He's standing up for what is right, all these rebellious, horrible, ungodly, immoral nations. Finally, He's doing this. As you keep going though, and, and I just kind of in your mind, I just want you to think about it. In Romans two fourteen and 15, it says that there is something of God's law written on the hearts of the nations. That means if you had never read God's word, there's something within the conscience of man that he knows that this is right and this is wrong. And they've rebelled against that and God says, finally, my wrath is against you and I'm going to destroy you. That's kind of the picture. And so at this point, they're rallying around Amos probably and they would say, let's make him the CEO of the prophets in the nation. Let's put him at the top. He gives us words we love to hear. He helps us understand how bad everybody else is and he wants them all destroyed. Go Amos. But then, it's, it, it, you just got to think about it, but then things are going to change. Again, it would be like saying, Amos standing up saying, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, and all those groups are destroyed. And God's going to do it, but everything changes. After they're rejoicing probably at what took place, then if you were watching a movie, the camera would turn south and it would point towards their brother Judah and God would say, I'm going to judge them. Then everybody gets serious in the room. Because the southern kingdom, he's going to speak of judging them, and he's going to say, in 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 the southern kingdom, they're under judgment because they reject God's God's law and have not kept them. They have believed lies and it's led them astray. This probably means they're running after foreign gods. So God puts this little. He moves around, and then all of a sudden, it's like our brother is condemned. But then as you move forward, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 16, he says, now I'm going to judge Israel. And everybody in the room is thinking, Amos is crazy, get him out of here. That's probably when they're saying, throw him out. But look at verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, He is, he is lumping them in. Now listen to me. This is kind of like saying... I'm going to judge all those worldly people out there. Boy, in in this part of the country, I can't stand those bad people out there. And then all of a sudden, you hear that, and then somebody turns and says, and I'm judging you. I'm judging you, church. You will stand before God. You who gather, and you're real religious, and you come week after week, you will stand before God. You who are very good at pointing at the faults of the world, now the mirror is before you. You have to look into your heart. You have to address your actions. For three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, And in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite, which are really powerful people before them whose height was like the height of cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks, I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, as I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness, put to possess the land of the Amorite, and I raised up, up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites, and it is I who indeed did so. O people of Israel, declares the Lord, but you made the Nazarites drink wine and command the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves pressed down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he ride the horses and save his life and who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. You see that? I wanted to read that because it's a very visual language of the issue. Verse 6, They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. It almost has the idea through here is like the innocent, the righteous, the one who walks in an upright way, these rebels are selling them. They're mistreating them. And the poor for a pair of sandals. It's some, it would be something like this. You had someone working for you. And you just went out and you said, for instance. I was thinking about somebody, because people are right now, there's, the yards are being mowed all the time. And someone comes in and they do like plant flowers for you. And somehow, they end up destroying a flat of flowers for $12. They're worth $12. And somehow they destroyed them. They trampled them, killed them. And so then you call up and you say, listen, this guy destroyed that $12 little bundle of flowers. I want him fired. And I want his family to starve. It's insane. That's that's insane. But that is normal. There are people who do this kind of thing. Because these people have become wealthy, they will destroy those around them who really are are marginalized in their eyes, who are lesser in their eyes. Notice in verse seven, they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. In verse seven, this girl that they this there's almost a girl, and she might even be a slave girl, and the father and this son, both are, are having sexual relationship with her and almost like forcing her, her into like a, a sexual situation. It's a horrendous picture. And, and that, that kind of stuff goes on. You understand, those things do happen. It's going on all around America, all around the world. Verse 8, they're laying themselves down on garments taken and pledged. Here's the deal. These people would put on like a cloak or like a you know, a jacket and they would wear that. It was like their it was their their, their jacket that they would wear throughout the day and at night they would cover up with it. And a poor basin person may not have somewhere to live. But they could take that, that as a blanket. Now here's what would happen. They would get in trouble. Maybe they needed food for the day. And they would say, Well, I'll take your your jacket. And then at night, by the law, the standards of the law, they're supposed to give it back so that they could sleep with it at night and not freeze to death. And the picture here is they're just they're taking them, not giving them back, and just kind of draping them down as people are sitting outside freezing. All of this stuff is kind of helping us see what is taking place in this country. In this, in this season of wealth and prosperity, verse 9, they are drinking the wine of those who've been fined. It's kind of the picture of probably been fined wrongly. And they're sitting in there having a big party because they had taken this from someone else who would really live, they mostly would drink wine. That's primarily what they would drink in that time. And so they're taking these things and throwing a party with it. Verse 10 and 11. They are doing this even though God has rescued them from slavery. Here's the thing. They had forgotten. You see that? They didn't realize. It's kind of like it had been a few years since they were there. And they had cried out, God, deliver us. But now they've forgotten what it was like to live in that state. And they had become like their oppressors in Egypt, and God is saying, "Do you remember that? Do you remember what took place? Not only here, you'll see the spiritual leaders are silenced and forced to do things they were not to do." And when you see that in verse in verse ten here of the, um, sorry, the verse eleven, the Nazarite, the Nazarite would take this vow for a season. Usually, it was for a short season. And they wouldn't drink wine, and I believe they didn't cut their hair, is that right? There are are a list of kind of things that they did as as a time of almost like, I guess you almost feel like fasting before the Lord, almost. But they didn't do that all the time, but during that time they would force them to drink wine, they forced them into that, to break their commitments to God. And they may have done it by trying to starve them to death. In other ways, there's just kind of this picture of a disregard. Listen to me, to the marginalized, poor, and to the religious. Both of those people, those who really walk with God, were mistreated among these people who claim to be God's people. Verse 13 through 16. As a result, God would crush them. The powerful in that in that world in that region, they would face the judgment of God. So again, this is a place of great prosperity. But the prosperity was at the expense of hearing the words of God and of crushing other people. It's a very visual picture of this darkness. It's interesting to me. It's hard to believe that we as Christian people could neglect the spiritual. I mean, countless people who call themselves Christians We could we could neglect those who physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually are struggling, and we could feel okay about it maybe, but there are people all around who have great struggles. We could look them as just kind of cast them aside. Now, as we go forward, again you see the judgment on the nations, the judgment on the people here. But look at chapters three through six, and we'll kind of move through this a little quicker. He gives these, these words, hear this word, hear this word, hear this word. We see that moving through, and then there is woe to you, woe to you. It's like saying, woe is just like, you know, th- this is like a heartbreaking picture, your, what you will face in the judgment of God. Now go to chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Well, actually, look at chapter 3, verse 1 real quick. Notice here that God punishes them because He knew them. They had experienced more knowledge of God. They had experienced the grace of God. How much more are they? Should they be the people that react rightly towards others? But look at three, seven, and eight. For the Lord God uh, does does nothing without revealing His secrets to His servants, the prophets. The lion has roared; who will not fear? The Lord has spoken; who cannot but prophesy? This idea here is this prophet. It's like God speaks and then He acts. He speaks and then He acts. And listen to me, if you're here this morning, you are hearing the words of God. When we read these passages, it is the Word of God to you. So that, listen, you understand that those who rebel against the Word of God, they will face what these people faced. The judgment of God. So you keep moving forward and look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Now here's the idea. In this culture, and this is another kind of swap here, but the cows of Bashan had a really good place to dwell. They just had a good place. Now, what he's saying is there are women in this culture, catch this, that are sitting back, calling out to their husbands and saying, Get me something to drink. And I don't care who you have to trample on to get it. Now, the idea here is that they are are doing, they're, they're living a life of luxury. So they're saying, "Give me the finest wine, the greatest food, this, that, and the other, and just don't tell me about the bodies you've had to bury to do it." That's kind of the picture. I just want to be satisfied with every good thing, but don't tell me about what the, those things done in the dark room. It's it's kind of that picture here. That's what's going on in this culture. But what does God say? Have you ever seen a fish hook? they're going to be grabbed by a fish hook and drug out of their houses and drug all the way to judgment. That's frightening, man. I mean, I'm telling you, that is frightening. When the day comes, they will be dragged out from their lives of luxury into a life of ter- torment when the day comes. Because they did not care for those in need. They crushed them to indulge their passions and desires. Sometimes even among church people. This is a hard thing, man. I've thought about it a lot lately, but you could almost have this feeling that this church or any church could say, we want this. We want I heard a guy say not too long ago, we're building a spiritual oasis in the middle of the city. A hundred and thirty million dollar project to build a spiritual oasis, beautiful building while they're driving past the people that are starving. We're building the spiritual oasis. What a frightening thing to me. And as you move forward in that, you see that. It's almost like they're doing that and you kind of as you move through the text, you will see. Chapter 4, verse 4. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal. These were places of worship and multiply your transgressions, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithe every three days. The tithe they've received, the money that they've received by crushing people, now they're giving back and making these beautiful pictures of worship. But what does God say? You keep bringing those Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. But He has no joy in it. He hates those things. He hates their worship. He hates them putting on a face before Him. He can see behind the facade. It's a very, very visual imagery here of what's taking place. Now, here's what he's going to say. Look at chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Let me stop there real quick. It's not, it wasn't that there were not people, I mean, it's not like everybody was wealthy. And I'll promise you this the people with the money were not the only ones guilty. By, by these standards, everyone in this room for the most part understand that their needs are met. They have something to eat. They have clothes to wear. And by those standards, we would all be there. And so we could all like look at this and understand the condition that they're in. America is a wealthy place. We all have food in our stomachs, clothes to wear. It's much different than many places in the world. But look what he says in 4, 12, and 13. Therefore, thus says, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Sometimes you might go to your, <laughs> Mike was joking, I mean, not joking, but talking about the Christian stations that, that play this stuff that's like, you know, Jesus is going to fix everything. Sometimes you go to like these stores and you know, you have little Bible verses and they're put on the on the deal, and you can buy the little plaque and they'll say, prepare to meet your God. And they'll be like, isn't that pretty? Isn't that fun? Oh, I'm so happy we get to meet God. This is a house where we meet God. And in that verse, he's saying, prepare to meet God. The God that's going to bring judgment. Prepare to meet the God that is going to bring judgment upon you, Israel. It will not be... A plime of joy. It says the God of hosts is coming. It means that God is coming with his army to address your sins. So we say that we see the hear this word, hear this word, hear this word. In chapter 5, verse 10. It says they hate him who reproves in the gate, they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many your transgressions and how great are your sins. You afflict the righteous who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the Lord is prudent and will keep... Oh, sorry. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It may be that if some of you will turn away from your sin and your wickedness, that God will be gracious. Now here's something interesting here. The gate was a place where all the business would be done. So the gate would be a place where people would come and say, let's say we had a disagreement. And we would come to the elders at the gate and they would help us deal with that. Let's say I wanted to buy your land and want to make sure it was all legitimate and legal. I would show up and say, I want to buy this guy's land. This guy say, I want you to buy my land. And they would go through the transaction there. Let's say that you fell on hard times and you needed someone to help you. You would go to the elders of the gate and they would work through that with you. And let's say that you wanted to understand the truth of God and what it means to live upright and just. You would come to the gate and the elders would teach you those things and model that before you. But not here. It was a place of total an absolute rebellion against God, and painful, horrible things towards others, we'll see in Amos five I'll just mention this quickly Amos five eighteen through twenty he says, The day of the Lord will be darkness and not light for you. See they were all waiting for the day of the Lord where he's going to judge the nations and set them up and, and wonderful day for them. But he's saying, For you, it will be darkness and not light. It will not be blessing, but it'll be a curse. Keep moving here. In chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, you see this? Just one last little thing here. The, the luxury. They make beds of ivory. They're stretching themselves out. They're not allowing the animals to... When someone ate a, 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 a cow like a, a baby, a calf, that's a picture that they didn't have to let it grow up and slaughter it in the time that it needed to be eaten. They cut it down early so it would be real tender. It was just a, it's, just a show, it's just a show that they had so much. They come up with all this music and stuff. People, people of leisure are able to do all that stuff. Because in this time they're able to sit there and work on, uh, you know, I don't know. I've watched all those movies with Jane Austen, movies with Anna, and all the time these ladies of leisure and men of leisure are able to figure out all those things, and they play this instrument and that instrument, and they know this language and that language, and the list goes on of all the things they're able to do. But he's saying these people of leisure here, they will face judgment. I'm afraid sometimes, and just as a, as a nation, as a people, we, we if we're honest, we'd rather watch TV, play on our iPhones, go shopping, fishing, work, uh, building our businesses, play sports, look nice, accumulate more stuff, go on vacation, all those things. And I'm not saying th- those things are wrong. But the danger is when those things, when all of it is, is my whole life is just about playing more. And again, I'll go on vacation, I have an iPhone, I go fishing. But when my life becomes all about that, and not about the Lord's business, and not about serving other people, and sometimes we even disguise it and say, well, our children need this. Our children need that. Our children... Our... No, it's not. You're creating a child who loves to indulge every fantasy. That's not what they need most. It's you to just pour out more junk on them. And we have a tendency sometimes to say, life is about doing what we enjoy all the time. And neglecting what God is about. And neglecting truth. And neglecting His Word. And neglecting the service of others. And neglecting sharing of the resources He's given. And neglecting giving our times and ministering to others. And what do you think that means? That means we've treasured the gods of this age. We have treasured this present age at the neglect of the kingdom of God. Does it? I mean, I even had the list on here of like, because this age is like about health and beauty and sustaining those things at the expense of God. It's a frightening thing, I think, to read these things to see what is taking place. As you move forward, in this book, chapter seven, verses nine and ten, nine through ten, and I'm almost done. So y'all hang with me. As you look at this book, as you're going, there's going to be five visions, and those visions. I'm just going to grab this because I don't really know. I started to get smoke to come up here and say, "Smoke, explain this for me, dude." But my dad tried to tell me, and I. Kind of understood. Holmes tried to tell me, and I understood a little bit more. Uh, Travis threw something in, so I'll probably still get it wrong. But um, basically, this is called a plumb bob. Is that what it is? The third vision in chapters seven through nine is about a plumb bob going down, and there's a line called. I guess it's called a plumb line. And what they would do is you could put it up against like that that here, and you could you could put it up there and see and find out is this wall straight. You drop this down and see that. Another way you could use it, let say like, I want to put a light in the middle here, like a little disco light in the middle, and you would measure across here and say, okay, the disco light goes in the center, and you drop this all the way down, and you say, okay, alright, it's on the center, now we can put it at this spot. But the idea is to make sure, specifically, that you're square or you're straight, what you're doing. God says to them, I am dropping a plumb line in the midst of My people. He says, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of My people Israel, and I will never again pass by them. They're not walking in a straight way. As He drops the plumb line, you see that they're crooked. They're going the wrong way. It's not straight. They're built not sound. And I will not pass before them again. God has dropped the plumb line. They are not square. They are not sound. They're not straight. And He will judge them. There's there's a list over and over of the different things that He will do throughout these judgments. But one is the plumb line. And the wall is not square and it will be torn down. So will be My people. In the last part of Amos, let's finish up. Amos 9, 11-15. As you're looking at that, He says, In that day I'll raise up the booth of David that has fallen, repair its uh, breaches, raise it up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by My name declares the Lord of hosts. The idea there is He's going to raise up these God's people. But they're not just going to be those people that live in Israel. It's going to be all of God's people. From every tongue and nation, the nations will gather. He's going to resurrect a people who will come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a beautiful picture here. Days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper. It's this idea that there will be so much, so much bounty, so much provision, God is going to bless them immeasurably. I will restore the fortunes of My people and rebuild their cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God." I really believe this is pointing to the future day where God is raising up His people and right now He's doing that. And right now among us, there are some people probably that are lost They're under the judgment of God and they need to repent and believe the Gospel and trust in the promises of God and enter into a relationship with Him so that from every nation, God's raising up His people and one day His people will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth and they will gather together and praise God and experience the blessing of God and they'll walk in the ways of God. That's a future for His people. A promise of blessing and renewal. And that's what you and I await. And that's what we long for. So the question is, what are the people that are going to enter into God's blessings? What do they look like? They are people who've recognized their sinful condition. They know that they have no hope, who are trusting in the only One who ever embodied what God's law commands us to, Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again, and and, and really now is reconciling us to God through what He accomplished for us. And here's the picture here. And these people will embody His heart. Jesus said that over and over. If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. They'll love His Word and you will love My people. Just part of it. And so you see the evidence of the one who's experienced the grace of God. They've experienced it and therefore they do good to those who are in need. They serve people and they love the truth of God and they want to obey it. If you're not there yet, you listen today. Because Amos says, there are days coming. There will be days, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. It's not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. There is coming a day, listen to me, I don't know when it is, but there is coming a day where you'll never be able to hear the truth of God. There's coming a day where the truth of God, there's a silence that comes across the people of God. But for you today, I would just say to you practically, hear the Word of the Lord, repent of your sin, trust in Christ, and follow Him. Because there's coming a day where there'll be no chance to repent. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would give us grace today to understand to comprehend Your Word, to believe Your promises, to turn away from our sin. Lord, we are a crooked people needing to be made straight by the work of Christ. God, we want to be faithful to You by Your power, by Your grace, for Your glory. We want to be faithful. And I just pray today that we would do so we would turn away from our sin and walk in righteousness for those who have never heard let them hear today by your spirit we ask that you would turn their hearts to obedience and faith in Christ's name amen Stand.